tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. Live at WonderCon in Anaheim, 2018. Uh, I have the pleasure of sitting down with writers from Alterna Comics here uh, promoting their individual books and Alterna Comics and the fact that newsprint is being uh, featured, focused on... Brought back. Brought back. There you go. Revive. Revive. Thank you. Uh, Here at WonderCon and starting to my... Right, Jordan Hart, David Lucarelli, and Terry Mayo, who's been on the show a few other times, and uh, is a good friend. Hi. At this point, maybe I don't know. Would you come pick me up at the airport? I would. <laughs> oh well, then you are a good friend. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, WonderCon. What does it mean to you guys? Uh, WonderCon. I love. I love it here. This is. Tied from my favorite con of the year, the other being San Diego, which I know people, a lot of people don't like, but I love it. And they're they're two totally different things. But what I love about this is a good sized con with, to me, comics focused, and I think that's what I love. Great creators, great fans. Um, it's our panel that we did today. I don't know many other cons that you know would have had such a response to it, other than WonderCon. So. So for me, WonderCon is the very first con I ever did as a creator. Uh, I did it five years ago, and right off the bat, you know, uh, just selling one single issue of uh, my very first book, The Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade, I got a great response. And, you know, some of the people that were at the panel tonight were people that bought that book five years ago and have been following me ever since. And, I, you know, that means the world to me, and that's, that's WonderCon. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I haven't been to WonderCon since it was in LA, and um, and when I was there, I was still doing web comics. I was, I remember going to panels about breaking in and and how tos and whatnot. I'm looking up at the stage and thinking these guys are just superstars. So it's really surreal to be up on that stage and realizing. I'm still a nobody. <laughs> I'm not a superstar. You mean we're not superstars? <laughs> I, you're superstars in my eyes. So. Uh, why? I mean, what was it about comic books that you know decided that this was the thing that you wanted to do, or at least this is what you're you're doing? I think for all of us, we can agree it's something that we kind of just have to do. At least for me, like I, I something I need to do. It's something that you don't do for the money or for anything else other than the joy it gets to hold the first copy of your comic book in your hand and to look at it and to read it and just think that you're sharing in part of this kind of history. Um, for me, it. yeah, yeah. For me, um, you know, I'm also a, mu- a musician and. Uh, I had put out several albums with my band, and then I got married and I became a father, and suddenly the idea of, you know, going on the road for months at a time with my band was the exact opposite of what I wanted to do, but I still wanted to express myself creatively, and I'm a lifelong fan of comics. I go to San Diego every year like a pilgrimage to Mecca, (laughs) and... Thanks to this guy here, we're actually going to be tabling. I'm going to be tabling at San Diego Comic Con for the first time. I couldn't be more excited. I mean, what's the, what, what kind of feeling is that? Someone who's gone to San Diego Comic Con so many years and then having a table there, right? It, it's pretty good. It's pretty terrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked many times right. about you know what what it means to me, and 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 you know, I still it's for me still is about my kids and leaving a legacy and something that they can pick up when they're my age and and be like, dude, my, my dad wrote this crap. <laughs> and, and it's just, that's, that's still what it is for me. And, well, I mean, what, what comic books were that, that you read either younger or now? Or, I mean, what is it that you read that uh, not necessarily influences you, but gets you through your day? Uh, well, what got me into it, I'll never forget, was X-Men 1 by Jim Lee. I was at the grocery store with my mom, and I was five years old, and I, we were walked by the newsstand, and it was... 
I see a cover with a guy with claws out of his hands, a guy shooting lasers out of his hands, and a guy made up ice. And I said, what is this? <laughs> Bought it, and I was hooked for life. But uh, now um, I read mostly uh, uh, creator-owned stuff, like the Image books and, you know, the Alterna books. And, and IDW is putting some great stuff. Boom has some great stuff. Um, those are kind of, like, where I go. I just... The stories are so good, and the writing is so great. But still, uh, try to read Marvel and DC whenever I can, too. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I grew up reading superhero comics, and I was uh, really the right age when the direct market hit, and you had this explosion of some really great companies uh, like Pacific Comics, like First Comics, and uh, I was the right age for when the, the British wave hit with uh, Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman, and I was a huge fan of Frank Miller, especially pre-9-11. And, uh, you know, those are, those are still a lot of my, my go-to books. I'm, I'm a huge uh, Robert Kirkman fan in terms of modern stuff. You know, I think Walking Dead is probably my favorite uh, ongoing monthly title. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pretend that I was five when, <laughs> when X-Men 1 came out as well. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember going to, like, Albertsons or Piggly Wiggly or whatever grocery store it was and picking up like a Marvel what if and I think it was uh, Wolverine what if he was like Lord of the Vampires or something like that and, and, and just be blown away by it and saying this is what I want to do I want to create my own worlds and uh, yeah so that's yeah, I love the what ifs. I've always loved Marvel. That's that's my favorite, the what if series. Yeah. I have the first run of it. Yeah, I mean, I it's just <laughs> such great concepts in those right? books. Yeah. I, what ifs and Elseworlds are definitely the two of the yeah, totally. things that got me into comic books first. Yeah. It's like I had always heard about Superman. I had always heard about Batman. You know, but then all of a sudden you got Batman, and he's kind of wearing like this steampunk thing like what's yeah. going on here yeah. Batman's going after the Jack the Ripper I don't understand Super, by gaslight. Superman yeah. is a Russian yeah. like yeah. what you know like, such a great story yeah uh, each one of your books that you're putting through Alterna I mean none of them are necessarily superhero books is is that just something that you felt like the story you wanted that was more the story you wanted to tell as when when coming to com- I mean I know I know personally that there's a lot of books out there that aren't super superhero comics but when you know the public thinks about it it's mostly superhero comics so what was it that you that made you want to do a story that wasn't I, I, I just uh, gravitate towards that's what I read modern wise I don't read many superhero books so it's more just uh, everyday uh, characters, you know, or future sci-fi, so um, it just was the story that kind of came out of me. I'd love to do a superhero book, but I just, I'm just not sure which which story I'd want to tell yet at this point. Yeah, I, I love superheroes as, as much as the next man, and um, actually, I've, I've been playing around with some ideas, uh, you know, that sort of sprang out of just, like, playing with action figures with my son. Uh, that I think are actually some interesting concepts that I haven't seen in superhero uh, books up until now. But I, you know, when I watch TV, I don't just watch one genre. Or when I go to movies, like I like a lot of different genres. So I don't, I don't ever want to be limited that I can only do one thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I wrote Wicked Righteous, or when I pitched it to Alterna, I, I mean, I, I try to write and pitch stuff that I would buy, that I would read. And, and don't care if it's commercial or whatever. <laughs> but on the same spectrum, I do have my superhero ideas, and I kind of hoard them away for that one day when I get the call. Because <laughs> so, I don't want to share them yet. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I have my, my dreams of, of writing for, like, G.I. Joe or, or Star Wars or, or X-Men. But, you know, those are kind of my, my secrets. My secrets until I get the call. It's understandable. Farland <laughs> held on a to- uh, spawn since high school. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did yeah, not know that. He waited for the timing to be right. Uh, the the big re- uh, revitalization of newsprint uh, that Alternative is pu- pushing, for someone who wouldn't know what that means, what exactly does that mean? What, what's, what's the difference between a newsprint comic and what uh, most comics are printed on today? Okay, so most comics today are printed on uh, higher quality paper stock, Uh, but what that means is that to buy a single issue, if you want to try a new comic, you're looking at probably paying $4, $3.99. 
The great thing about Alterna is the books uh, on newsprint range from a dollar to a dollar fifty, right? So you can essentially buy three new books that you can try uh, for the same price as buying one that's a slightly uh, more higher quality paper format. And to be honest, when I was younger, all the books were printed on newsprint or the equivalent of it. And so it doesn't, it doesn't look inferior to me. It looks like the way comics were meant to be. And then, you know, once these miniseries are collected, they can always be reprinted in graphic novels that are higher quality paper format for people that want that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see the news, newsprint as, you know, I work in the medical field. So just to kind of do an analogy, I see the newsprint as like a, uh, like a prophylactic, a life-saving measure for the comic book industry. Because, I mean, it's no secret that the comic book industry is on a decline. Right. And, and I think there needs to be more ideas. I don't think that newsprint alone is going to save it by any means. I think that DC and Marvel need to do their part as the leaders in the industry to help bring it back to life. But there needs to be more ideas like the alternate idea, the newsprint idea, from other small independent publishers to kind of prop it up and give Marvel and DC the idea that, hey, you know, we're doing our part to bring it back. Now it's your turn to start doing it as well. And the other so. cool thing is that these books are distributed not only to comic book shops uh, through Diamond nationally and internationally, but they're also on newsstands. Mm-hmm. And so you have impulse buys and you're, and you're reaching out to audiences that aren't just coming to a comic book shop looking for comic books. It's, it's, like, it's a low commitment. Yeah, like a dollar fifty, give it a shot. Um, a lot, pe- a lot, people are a lot more tending to just reach out and try it. And the other thing is, you know, Peter Samedi, who owns Alterna, his attitude is not like, well, this is good enough because it's, we're only selling it for a dollar fifty, so let's just throw it out there. You know, he really puts in the time and the effort and the care to make sure that these books are done right and that they're worth your time and money, even if it's only a dollar fifty. Yeah, I haven't read a bad alternative story. Yeah. I mean, they're all, I, I think they're all great. I, I think just on a side note, I had Doppelganger at my comic book store that I have my pull list at, so they knew I wrote it, so I ordered a ton of copies, and everyone said the same thing, which was hilarious. The newsprint is amazing. And they're like so excited. Like the smell, the feel, the look. I love it. And then it was, and the story's good too. It's just like people are like, there are words yeah, on this? Like, wait. But like people were so excited to have newsprint again and then to have the low cost that, yeah, that's, it's really getting a lot of buzz, which is awesome. When, it, like you were saying, uh, your first uh, comic book. Yeah. Jordan yeah. was uh, the, the X-Men when you were at the grocery store. That's what you, were, what you were talking about, the impulse buy, you know. That's where my first comic book was, that was at a grocery store, you know, being tag, you know, tagging along with my mother or yeah. whatever. And you don't see that anymore. You don't get to see yeah. uh, comic books at the grocery store, uh, at least not in my hometown. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Not anybody else. Well, and it's frustrating because I live across the street from a school and I like 80% of the boys have an Iron Man or Captain America or... Or uh, Spider-Man backpack, right. but it's just like comics are harder for them to get than ever, and it's like oh, yeah. they, they love these characters, but and they love them. You know what's yeah. interesting to me is, is I have a nine-year-old son, and before the Wonder Woman movie even came out, before all that stuff, like I could see on the playground little kids playing superheroes. The little girls would play Wonder Woman, yeah. you know. And there's that part of me that wonders. How do they even know who Wonder Woman... Now they know because the movie's out. But before then, like, they haven't seen her on TV. There's no cartoon. There's no movies. So, you know, they are ripe to be into these characters. They just need to be able to find them. Yeah. Um, You guys talked about it at at the panel a little bit, but uh, how does that affect the coloring uh, of of your book? Especially you, Jordan, since you do the coloring on your book. Yeah, um, so the newsprint does soak up the color. So, like, as uh, David mentioned, the new high print paper, it really pops colors. It's glossy. It can be really detailed. But newsprint, um, it's matte. It's more porous. It'll suck the colors in. So you just really need to adjust. I don't go in and recolor every panel. I just basically boost the saturation of everything because you know it's going to get desaturated on the print but 
honestly, it adds almost a cool nostalgic look to it. Like even if it is desaturated, like it still looks great. It's well, like, just a different way. Like you already stated, it, it, the, the the newsprint cell, stock itself helps adds yeah. to the other senses. You get the yeah. sense of touch when you're reading mm-hmm. the comic. You get the mm-hmm. sense of smell from the yep. certain smell that has it. So uh, you're losing that with the the more high gloss that definitely you, uh, comic books. Um, but the but. Coloring the colors itself, though you said it's it's like only sixty four colors. Well, that was uh, back before everything went digital. So now, um, even so now that it's digital, you can have all the different. Oh colors. yeah, you can have you can have all the colors you want. It's just that they'll just lose some vibrancy when it goes to newsprint. What, how is that? I I don't know. How, I know Terry does uh, his artist for his book is in. Um, Argentina, right? And Jordan, you said yours is in the Philippines. Philippines, so is mine. You're also in the Philippines. Yeah. How, did, yeah. how does that work out? Like, is it? Um, do you find it more difficult the fact that you know you're you're not seeing this person in face to face on a regular basis, or is it more? Technology is there. We can. You don't need. You don't need to see someone face to face. It's been for me surprisingly great because Emmanuel, my artist, is just great and super punctual. Um, it's a little hard to be on completely opposite sleep schedules, but we figure it out. And with email and internet, it's great. But his internet went down for a few days, and then that was like, okay, it's scary. I bet. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, do I need to send a like a, a carrier pigeon? I don't know. Or like, what, what are we gonna do? But. Um, but no, that just is the beauty of, of the world we live in now, that that's, that's possible. Um, and uh, it's just been great. Honestly, the worst thing about it is that I wish I could see him more in person to kind of like just grab dinner with him and like give him a high five about how awesome of a job he's doing. You know, that's the hardest thing is to show how uh, like excited I am through email. But it's <laughs> right. smooth. Yeah, so my artist, uh, Henry Ponciano, is also in the Philippines. And we've been working together for like about six years now. And I was initially concerned about the issues you were mentioning. Um, my wife used to be a flight attendant. And she told me, she was like, you know, the Philippines is the most Americanized Asian country, even more so than Japan. Really? Yeah. And I, I, I said, well, I didn't know that. but <laughs> And it turns out, like in most things, she was absolutely right. And there, we really haven't had any issues in communicating or any problems. I think there was maybe one time that he was he misunderstood something a direction that I had given him in a script and it was probably just because I wasn't making myself particularly clear. So what I did is I just literally took a couple pictures of myself in the pose of, for the figure that I wanted and problem solved. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, I with the time difference thing, that that was a big adjustment for me and like on my phone everybody I work with like I have a, a London time zone on my phone Africa Argentina and I'll check it before I send an email because I'm like I don't want to I don't want to be sending this and being like why hasn't he answered me at 3 o'clock in the morning over there? So, um, but yeah so that was an adjustment and then Lucas doesn't speak English so that was Google Translate's come in and the same thing that David does I a lot of reference pictures a lot of me drawing this is what I'm talking about yeah. and then when he can't understand that and he's taking a picture of something this is what I'm talking about <laughs> so I mean it's yeah I mean you adjust and it's yeah. the thing that I miss the most like like Jordan was saying is that that they're not over here to, to come to WonderCon yeah but they can't like, be on I the I wish panel. they would have been on the yeah. panel that would have been, amazing. That would have been great in fact yeah. I'm, I was trying to get Henry to come out for this because he yeah. actually has a brother that lives in Long Beach oh. so the plan is he's saving money now WonderCon 2019 that'll be great <laughs> yeah. uh, the, um, I don't know what else to say right there Jordan with Doppelganger yes your book any, can you give out any, uh, I, or can you tell me what it was the inspiration for that? Because the idea, the, what you said in the panel was a gentleman gets into a car accident. Yeah. After that, he wakes up, finds that someone else has taken over his life. Yeah. And it happens to look just like it. Yes. Uh, so the inspiration, I don't, I re- honestly, I have no idea where it came from. It's just the <laughs> concept of doppelgangers always intrigued me, and... I was wanting to write a new comic book. I had just finished up my first graphic novel, and I wanted to do, like, a horror comedy. Um, And I was just like, you know, what kind of doppelganger? That would be a fun one. I have My grandparents are from Germany, so I was like, it's got an umlaut in the title. I mean, that's (laughs) seamless right there. 
And uh, yeah, it was just, I did some research, and like I said in the panel, found out that the Egyptians believed in doppelgangers not only copying your appearance, but all of your memories. And I was like, that's very interesting, because then someone can slip into your life and no one else would know. And that's just kind of why I wanted to take it and it just went from there and I have no idea how it ended up where it did but it did so <laughs> it's pretty cool I think that's the great thing about writing you kind of just start with a little nugget and then it just explodes yeah yeah. you might have an idea of where you're going to end up but yeah. how you get there is sometimes a surprise to you as well yeah and David with Tinseltown you know you said that your mother was a cop that's your, right at your panel and the, the story for that one is a female officer first female officer or one of the, the first, first one of the first for, yeah for Hollywood exactly yeah. for Hollywood so uh, the idea for Tinseltown came about because I was researching Universal Studios around 1915 and there had been a few female officers actually on the LAPD mostly because even in 1915 uh, Los Angeles there were a lot of uh female underage prostitutes, homeless drug addicts, and the male uh, cops weren't comfortable doing uh, strip searches. So they, they ended up hiring a few token female officers, and that was their primary job. But the interesting thing about Universal Studios is they sort of saw themselves as a semi-autonomous city run on their on by themselves. They had a female mayor, female police chief, and female police officers. Now, they weren't completely full-fledged police officers. They were kind of like lot security guards, and they also acted as kind of like uh, lot actors for the tourists. Because back then, when movies were silent, they didn't have to worry about the crowds ruining the sound. So they could literally have, uh, instead of a Universal Studios tour, they would have people come onto the lot and pay to watch the movies as they were being filmed. And they would, you know, help with directions and pose with the tourists and that kind of thing. And they also weren't above exploiting them by marching them in short miniskirts uh, in parades. So I thought that was an interesting dichotomy. And uh, like you said, my mother served as a police officer for 20-plus years in Pittsburgh. And uh, she's no longer with us, but this book is also my tribute to her. That's cool. And and the idea uh, with the furthering of that story is going to be more... Uh, crime drama, crime noir kind of thing? Yeah, it's a period crime drama. It's got noir elements. Um, the first issue comes out in... Uh, on, well, it debuts here at WonderCon, but it comes out in comic book shops March 28th. It's a five-issue miniseries. And without spoiling anything, I would say that it definitely gets a little darker and a little more twisted plot-wise as the series goes on. Terry, we've, we've talked about The Wicked Righteous a few times. But, we have, yeah, yeah. Uh, where where are we at now in the in the storyline as it's being published? Uh, right now, four came out last month. Uh, five comes out in April next month, um, and that's kind of like the beginning of the end. So like everything has been leading up to five and six. Um, the Wicked Righteous has a lot of religious tones to it, undertones, however you want to put it. And I and I've kind of found that I put that in a lot of stuff I write. Which is weird because it's like this uh, dialectical where where it's got this serious tone, but at the same time, I don't see it like that. I see it as like uh, not a thinking man's comic. <laughs> it's like very popcorn and, and like ooh action and explosions and stuff like that. There, there's no nothing deep to me about it. But then I have people reaching out to me saying, "Oh my god, this line about this," and I go back and I read the line. I'm like, I don't even remember writing that. <laughs> somebody, somebody more more smarter than me wrote that. So, um, so that's where the book is at right now, towards the beginning of the end. And so you said you seem to put a lot of religious ideas in a lot of your writing. Are you self a religious person? Or yeah, I mean, uh, sure. <laughs> I was raised in the church. My, my, my family, very Southern Baptist, coming from Texas. Uh, my grandmother used to call me her little Indian preacher. I don't know if I've disappointed my grandma that I'm not an Indian preacher now. Um, but yeah, I, I, was, I was raised on it. Uh, and knowing the Southern Baptist, it was God-fearing. And, you know, as the mind wanders as you get older, and I think a lot of that stayed with me. And it it's kind of seeps through in my writing. And, I mean, to, to do research for something like that, you know, post-apocalyptic world, but obviously a lot, a lot of religious undertones, you know, what did you do? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, 
my son reminded me the other day that he thinks the kernel for for the wicked righteous started with a conversation we had driving where i was like oh this world would be a better place if everybody just went away <laughs> just a little peek into my psyche okay and then, and then and then we talked about well would it like what would break down like let's say that not everybody went away but just most people went away what would those other people do what what, what would the nuclear power plants explode would there be a, a mushroom cloud for years what, what would that look like going forward and I think that's kind what of if? what if what if what if, what if? What if? It's in. it launched a generation of writers yeah, that's right <laughs> uh, Jordan the same with research into the the mythology you said like ancient Egyptian religion believed in uh, doppelgangers other religions believe in the doppelgangers what what stories or uh, anecdotes or you know just fairy tales did you look at when you were you were thinking about doppelgangers? Um, so I tried to read everything I could on it, um, but I've always been obsessed with myth- mythology again since I was a kid. So I kind of had a lot built in. So I honestly wanted to do more research in what kind of doppelganger stories have been produced and try to avoid them. So that's really where the brunt of my research came in, was just trying to do stuff differently. Um, but yeah, I, I really didn't do that much research other than maybe a couple hours worth and then just, just ran with it. Because Doppelganger is very rooted in just everyday American life. So it was more so focusing on the character of Dennis. I'd say I spent more time developing the characters than, than the research. Um, because I just try to always focus on the characters. I think that's what leads the story. Mm-hmm. So uh, the rest is just fun. <laughs> and David, you, knew, you were talking like um, the 1950s Hollywood. You know, obviously, there's a, not 1950s. 1950s. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, there's a lot of the old Hollywood stories out there, and they've been made in movies like The Black Dahlia and uh, L.A. Confidential and stuff like that. Were you looking into crime stories that way when you were making this story, or was it? Did you have something else in mind already? Um, you know, I, I wasn't really... Uh, like, the book's been described as L.A. Confidential meets Boardwalk Empire, and I'm a fan of both of those series. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really... I was more looking at the historical research um, about what was going on at the time. And, like, for instance, it's interesting, uh, the female police chief... Her home was actually broken into at the time, and she was robbed, uh, which was kind of a, a big embarrassment because she was the police chief of Universal Studios. And we don't really get into that in the series, but should there be a Tinseltown 2, you think that we will. <laughs> Where did you find like all the information on that? Um, you know, j- literally just uh, Googling down the rabbit hole... Um, and then after that, I, there, there are certain books out about uh, early Universal Studios and stuff. I mean, it's interesting, uh, at the very beginning of the film industry, particularly at Universal Studios, um, before it became such a male-dominated field, um, there were female producers, female directors, there were a lot more female movie stars um, and female editors and all, all that kind of stuff. And I've actually seen some articles recently uh, in light of the whole Me Too movement and and Never Again and all that that have said, you know, we could learn a lesson from Universal Studios from that time period. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, very, very great. Um, With the the idea of uh, your story being somewhat science, you know, science fiction. I, I, I mean, honestly, it's I don't... like a Twilight Zone. Yeah, yes. That's the perfect, perfect, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, where, where is it that... Okay, I guess the best thing was, did you have the ending in mind when you first started thinking about the story? Yes. Do you know where, you know where the story is going to end? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for the, for the most part, I think I know where it's going to end. <laughs> that may change, but for the most part, it's, yeah. Because that's the easiest way to write out the full story is kind of know how it ends and just work backwards from there um, and like drop in little foreshadowing tidbits so yeah and for everybody else is the same you know do you, do you figure out the end first and then work backwards yeah I think so I mean if it, you know if you don't know where you're, you're going to end up you can, can end up painting yourself into a corner yeah. and that's a scary thought so yeah. <laughs> yeah. and how flexible are you when you're writing to be like 
oh, you know what? Maybe this is a better idea. Maybe this is something that this is where I want to take the ending. Like, or do you stick to it? Do you stick to no? This is where I wanted to end, and this is where I'm going to end. Mine morphs over over time. I mean, I yes, I come up with an ending. I, I before I, I'll think of an idea and then I'll try to figure out how would this end. And if I can have like a beginning, middle, end, I'm I know that I can fill in all those blanks in between because I know there's a story there somewhere. Um, and most of the time, it changes <laughs> as your I start writing. Your characters do things you weren't expecting, right? Yeah, and right. they like, sort of dictate uh, to you okay, what's going to happen. And that changes everything else. Yeah, like from my yeah. outline, as I'm because my yeah. computer, I have a screen here, outline. I have a screen here, art. I have a screen here, that's my typing. So from the time outline gets to the third screen, they're doing something that's not in the outline. I'm like, holy shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you just yeah. kind of follow where they go. I mean, it's... it's Yes. And that, the yes. characters, you have an idea in mind, and then the characters will just change it if they're good. So. Yeah, you can't force them to do what they're not going to, even yeah. if that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Other than comic books, what is it that each one of you... <laughs> someone drops a bit over. Oh, oh wow. Getting wild. <laughs> uh, what is it that you geek out about? That's, I mean, that's kind of what our podcast is about, is what you love to geek out about. So other than comic books, what is it that you... You, you find yourself geeking out about uh, movies love movies love novels short stories music I mean anything to do with art for the most part uh, that's that's what I geek about and also collecting old comics that's what's the last gem you found the last gem I found yeah like uh, old comic gem yeah okay well, I gotta think I found a few this morning uh, <laughs> I think the one that I'm proudest of is I found a nice uh, first Hobgoblin. I love that character. Oh, wow. So Spider-Man 238. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an expensive book. And I was just walking the con today, and I saw it priced pretty low. And there was some stains on the back, which I don't care about that. So, yeah, was, that was my score. Yeah, because you're collecting for yourself. You're not yeah, collecting it for yeah the, I'm not trying to resell value, it. Yeah. I mean, I'm collecting to put on my desk. So, yeah, I, that was my, my, my latest this morning. So I would say everything that he said, uh, music, movies, TV, novels, plays, um, you know, I, I, I would say that um, to me, I'm, I'm a huge Kiss fan, and I would say that I, I take it as seriously as anybody ever took any religion, but I take it a lot more seriously than that. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, the last... I don't know, did you go to a Kiss concert? You know, what? Well, so so here's here's a really cool thing, right? Uh, my wife is actually working for Gene Simmons as we speak. Um, yeah. He's doing this thing called the Vault Experience. And so she got to go over to his house and meet him. And for the first time, I was truly jealous of my wife. Um, <laughs> but what happened was we got a free vault, uh, which is like 16 unreleased CDs of songs that he put out and we got to go to the Vault Experience and meet him so we had basically front row seats for an intimate concert of about 100 people where it was him playing songs with Ace Fraley uh, acoustically for the first time in like 16 years and they were playing songs that they used to play in the clubs together that they haven't played since Song they were jamming on blues and for me it was like okay life doesn't really get much better than this but he's a huge comic book fan, too. He is. Yeah. Jim, yeah. Jim's a comic nut. So. Yeah, in fact, I ran into him at Golden Apple Comics in L.A. one New Year's Day, and we had a nice, long conversation That's all about awesome. comics. <laughs> really cool. Do you pick up any memorabilia at the cons or anything like that? Or Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a collector's collector, but I definitely, I'm always looking for, for the odd thing, the prototype that never got made, that kind of thing for sure. Speaking about color... Real quick, okay. What's what's the issue that they put the blood into? Oh. Okay, so that was the uh, yeah the first Marvel comic books. Actually, not the first because their first appearance was in a couple issues of Howard the Duck. Now there is an urban legend that even though they put their blood into the ink, that they switched what magazine the ink went into. So if you really want to find their DNA, you have to like you know get a Sports Illustrated from that same month. Oh. <laughs> Who knows the truth? That's yeah. quite an urban legend, right? There. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Terry? You ever think about putting your own blood into the to the ink of the comic book? Well, what makes you think I don't? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's actually why we're on newsprint. That's right. Blood ink. Yeah. So what do you geek out about? Uh, mine is purely movies. I, I, you know, I grew up a, 
a latchkey kid and TV was TV was my babysitter. I mean, it was from the time I woke up, my parents were at work, and you know, so I would do my breakfast, put on Children of the Corn for my <laughs> before I go to school, and then then come home to Night of the Living Dead. I mean, I was I was big into horror as a kid uh, and and movies and like even still I. There's not a movie in theaters that I haven't seen. I'll go every week, see at least one or two movies a week, uh, and then and, and that's my that's my nerd that's my nerddom. It's <laughs> your favorite of the year. Are you a member of the Horror Writers Association San Diego chapter? I am not, but I was looking into. I will hook you up, sir. Yeah, yeah. I, I know those. I know I'm those in cats. The LA chapter, are you? I am. Why have I never seen you at a meeting? I don't know. Yeah. Now we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah, I go on Thursdays. You go on Tuesdays. And that's, yeah, what yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. You can't you, have, you can't share the same yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Too much awesomeness in one room. Yeah. yeah. But no, yeah. What uh, of this year? What's uh, what? What, is, what have you liked? What is your favorite thing of this year so far? Oh, there's there's been a lot of good ones. I mean, Shape of Water was, was it, it deserved what it got. Yeah. Uh, it was a great movie. It was beautiful. Uh, I I went in not knowing anything about it purposely, and took my my two oldest kids, which. In hindsight, maybe <laughs> sitting there, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not going to look at these kids." That first scene, yeah. <laughs> but I did. I was sitting there, and uh, one of my children leaned over and looked at me. <laughs> he was like, "What are we watching, Dad?" <laughs> but it, it was it was a beautiful movie. It deserved the Oscar. It deserved everything. Um, yeah. No. And as far as superhero movies, Black Panther was great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Infinity War. I actually got to work on Black Panther for a day. My day job is I'm the uh, ADR recordist at Fox, and oh, wow. they, they just rent out the studio to whoever books us. And so I, I got to see, you know, uh, a couple of the pivotal scenes, the the uh, sort of fight for supremacy scene yeah. on the water, and the, the very tail end scene where the villain, without giving anything away... Um, makes a very important choice about his right. future. Or and he morphs into Thanos. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I say, as much money as that movie's made, I'm pretty sure everybody's seen yeah, it. Okay, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun to work on. So you, you're telling me you can tell us about the whole Fox-Disney merger buyout thing, right? You know, the only thing I can tell you <laughs> is that we got a corporate email that said you probably, reading between the corporate ease, you probably don't have to worry about your job for about a year, and then all bets are off. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Probably was underlined. In yeah. the- <laughs> Italicized. <laughs> Big bold letters. Uh-huh. Jordan, what uh, movies have you seen? Lately. I think Black Panther, just for what it meant, so much more than a superhero movie. It was just phenomenal. But other than Black Panther, non-superhero, uh, I loved Annihilation. I mm. thought that was phenomenal. And I, re- I read the book, and it was so much different than the book, but it still worked. It was that's what, Yeah, that's what I've heard, that it's so it's yeah. different than the book. I haven't read the book. I did see the movie. I might need to talk to you to ask, to, yeah. you know, tell me what it is about. Ba- ba- basically, <laughs> like, after Act 1, it's completely different. Oh, really? Every, basically, once they go into the ether, everything's changed. Interesting. Yeah. So we're talking favorite movies of the year? Yeah. Okay. I gotta go with The Greatest Showman. Which, I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Full disclosure, I worked on that, and it was it was really cool to work on. But like my son and I, like we fell in love with that movie. We've seen it twice in the theaters, and you know it's really um, one of the films that I am most proudest to have worked on in the past 19 years. Awesome. I've, I've never bought the soundtrack to any movie until that one. I'll, yeah. t- I'll tell you that right now. Like, cool. I've never done that. I, I listened to the, I watched that movie twice. Saw that. Listened to those songs. I like. This is awesome. So, and it's so funny that that's a movie that, like, these days movies tend to open big and then they, you know, peter out. Right. And this movie opened soft and were and got not very good reviews, and and then literally audience word of mouth saved it, and it's do it's got incredible legs. It's doing great. That rarely happens these days. I'm, yeah. I'm so happy for him. And I don't, I mean, just I don't like musicals. Like, yeah, really ever. And I just love that movie. So I just throw that out there. <laughs> uh, yes, um, TV shows. Any TV shows are you, you watching? Do you keep up on? Uh, because that's, you know, that's kind of the golden age of TV right now. You know, yeah. There's so many out there, it's hard to, but, you know, aside from Westworld Game of Thrones, I'd say I'm really excited for Handmaid's Tale to come back. Ooh, yeah. I think that starts soon. That I did not know what to expect with that show, but wow. 
they just and my wife too it's my wife's favorite show she loves it and that that show blew me away so excited for that um, there's a show I, I really love that maybe not a, a lot of people know about called The Artful Detective, um, and it's weird. It's a weird show because it also, depending on how it's syndicated, is also called Murdoch Mysteries, but it's the same show, and it is like kind of a PBS show about uh, turn of like early 20th century uh, Canadian police detective uh, named William Murdoch, and he's like an ultra smart guy who is constantly pioneering. Uh, some of the techniques that will later become standard parts of police procedure and it's just a really interesting, well-written show with uh, characters, I mean each episode is kind of a complete story arc but within that framework of entire seasons they tell kind of ongoing story arcs about what's happening with the people and uh, it's a really clever, really fun show I I haven't seen it but I actually have heard about it Um, but no, I my wife turned me on to the, or fiance turned me on to uh, Handmaid's Tale, and I was like, I don't, I don't, what is this? She's like, just watch it, because all the other shit, which TV shows, I, I automatically start thinking of Netflix, Hulu, sure. all that. I don't really watch like live TV, like anymore. cable TV, yeah. yeah. Um, but Handmaid's Tale, I watched it, and I don't really binge shows, but I binged that. I mean, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. When it ended, I was like, no, no, (laughs) don't get in there, come back. So well done. What about uh, Ultra Carbon? Is anybody watching that? No, what's that? I started Netflix's new show. It's uh, very much Blade Runner. Uh, uh, What is that? Techno Noir. Okay. uh, Set in the future. It's all about people that... Basically, your whole consciousness is on a disc in the back of your brain. Okay. And uh, when you die, no essentially it's the future. No one dies. You just get put into a new body. So the story is billionaire, uh, many times over, uh, pulls a guy out of 300 years in the past because his stack is still there, which is the chip. And he, um, he basically pulls him out of freezer, whatever you want to call it, put him in a new body and say, look... I need you to investigate my murder. I was killed yesterday. And uh, there's like a good day of no one knows what happened because my backup that's in the cloud, you know, wasn't backed up yet. So it's, it's kind of a mystery. Crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a really good show, really good. And it sounds like, you know, from everybody, what yeah. I gathered from your stories, it's something you'd probably enjoy. Yeah, have to check that out. For yeah. Sure. yeah. I think I'm on the third episode. I'm the one where the daughter is... In the mom's body. Right, yeah. Yeah, so then I'm on that episode and, and then just started Black Mirror. Oh, so, that's yeah. my favorite. That's, Black yeah. Mirror. Uh, well, that's, yeah, exactly. You can tell that's, that's my uh, uh, wheelhouse right yeah. there. I, I love that show. Have so, you guys seen Mindhunters talking about Netflix? Yes. That's a good. Mindhunters. That is awesome. That <laughs> Great show. So let me ask you that then. Uh, when you're writing, since you consume so much other media and stuff like that, are you conscious of, you know, where your idea is coming from, if you're pulling from other stuff that you've already seen, something like that? Yeah, I, I try to be. I, I tr- you try to to make sure it hasn't been done before. If I have an idea, I usually Google for a day to make sure nothing's been done before, because that's the worst. Uh, a lot of time and effort goes into a comic, so like to do something that's been done is tough. But And then I usually bounce it off my wife and then one of my best friends, who's seriously... I swear, watched every movie ever made. And, and he usually could be like, well, it's kind of like this, with this, with that, so you're okay. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so, that's my process. Yeah, I, I think I'm an eclectic enough writer that I, I don't worry about, uh, you know, doing something that's been done before because everything's been done before, right? I mean, it, yeah. there's nothing new under the sun. But I think that uh, the way that I think about things, I'm likely to... Even if I'm doing something that's well-trodden, you know, my other book is The Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade. Well, vampires have been done a thousand times, a thousand different ways, but I think I've found an angle that's a little bit different and a little interesting and doesn't owe too much to any one uh, way it's been done in the past. Right, your tone, your voice is going to make what... It's different, exactly. obviously, because it's you. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I do the same thing. I Google, research, make sure that my will isn't just exactly like someone else's will or that I can at least change it enough morph it enough and still keep my ideas and my story um, 
And the only thing I found for Wicked Righteous was actually a rapper out of New York, and his name is Wicked Righteous. But the S is a dollar sign. Ah, so yes, I'm good. You're good. <laughs> nice. Uh, in, when, when you're in the editing process, after you've written your first uh, draft of your story, where do you go from the? Do you, do you hand it to your your wife to read? Do you do you give it to someone professionally to read? Where do, what do you do? Uh, I usually get it to draft four before I show it to anyone, and then I have like a network of I call them fret fretitors. They're my <laughs> friends and editors that are they're screenwriters and um, novelists and also just pop culture junkies like my other friends and say read this. And just ask for like high level feedback, you know, make sure everything's in place. So it's very valuable to me, at least, getting because when you when you s- spread out how many people read it, you start seeing people having the same comment, right? And that's and where if you all have uh, the same comment, yeah. then you got to go, oh, okay. And that's where you know there's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Same same with you, David. Do you do that? Um, well, it depends. Like, if I'm writing a prose story, then, uh, then yeah, I want to definitely run that by the editor for who's gonna who's gonna be publishing it and take their feedback and stuff. For comics, um, my mo is I, I write kind of a long draft of the whole story that's not necessarily broken down panel by panel, page by page, but just so that I have a general idea of, of the overall story arc. And then I start breaking it down, um, you know, panel by panel, page by page. I give that in chunks to my artist, uh, always with the caveat that, you know, he's the artist. He has a better visual sense than I do, most likely. So if he has a different way to break down the story that he thinks is visually more exciting and more interesting, then he has the freedom to uh, break away from the panel breakdown and give me that. Yeah, I... I I pay for an for an editor, someone non partial who, you know, they they have no dog in the range. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, and give it to them everything from my entire first script to the outline for the entire story. Uh, and and most of the time, sometimes the first seven pages before I submit of like art, color, lettering, whatever, uh, have them edit it, give me their feedback, and then I'll run with that. Um, and that's worked for me so far. I mean, there's only been one time where they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, what is it that you're working on next? Uh, so I have the short story coming out through Alterna's. Um, it came out on a Wednesday anthology. Uh, and that is coming out in the August issue. And then I'm currently working on another short story for uh, them as well. So uh, two short stories. Both are very Twilight Zony as as Doppelganger was, so sci-fi. <laughs> cool. So um, the next thing I'm working on is the Kickstarter for my other uh, book, The Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade, All Souls Day. And it's kind of a coming-of-age gothic adventure, uh, punk rock Buffy set in Scotland. Uh, it was inspired by the real-life Gorbals vampire incident. So Scotland, 1950s, hundreds of school kids went into a cemetery looking for a vampire. It's considered mass hysteria. In our book, they find it, they form the brigade. Half a century later, there's a couple kids drinking in that graveyard when the vampires come back. We just went live on Kickstarter. It's the same artist that does Tinseltown. So if you if you check out Tinseltown in the comic book shops and you like that, uh, check out the Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade on Kickstarter. I have a have a few things. I have uh, Disposable Legends from T-Pub Comics is finally finally coming out after a, after a, a little bit of a stall. Uh, but it's coming out in comic shops um, late summer, I think. Um, and then I've got another story that hasn't really been announced, but oh well. It's uh, a story about possession, an evil cat, and a clueless pug. So <laughs> I figured 2017 was like my blood and gore and cursing years and 2018 will be like my fun and so supernatural milo and otis is what you tell yeah yeah okay <laughs> uh, it's my version of like a children's story for my children <laughs> so like here read the story about possession children yeah but that's that and then a few other things i have something for also the um it came out on a wednesday uh which is wicked righteous related 
can uh, I, would you guys like to give out your social media some way that people want to get in contact with you or yeah uh, so my Twitter is uh, just my name it's Jordan underscore heart uh, and my Instagram is Jordy Jordith but you'll find me if you search Jordan Hart okay uh, um, Twitter I believe is at David Lucarelli so easy. I'm, I also, yeah, and I also live on Facebook. So that's probably the easiest way if somebody wants to get in touch with me. Uh, all my stuff is Mayotia. So uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's all that at Mayotia. And uh, are you going to be at any future cons after this one? Oh, yeah. uh, San Diego. Yeah, we're definitely yeah. doing San Diego. Yeah. I'm at uh, Chicago. I'm at C2E2 in two weeks, and then. I know a couple of us are at uh, Fantasia Comic Con. Yeah, you and I are at least going to be there. Oh, I'm also supposed to go to that in, in India. Okay. And uh, San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, and then Fan Fest in Toronto. Okay. And I'm doing Comic Con Revolution in Ontario. I'm doing the next Long Beach. And then I'm also, uh, for the first time, I'm doing, uh, I think, Son of Monster Palooza, Midsummer Night Scream, and Scare LA. Cool. <laughs> I want to go to Scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? What is? I know it's a, still the first day of WonderCon, but what is the highlight so far, other than your own panel? This is sound cheesy, but I'll be honest: was meeting these guys in the flesh because <laughs> we've been corresponding digitally for like half a year at least. Right. So to finally be able to meet has been pretty cool. I second that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely third. Definitely third. I mean, the great thing about the cons is meeting these people that you only see through, like, social media and, and emails and stuff. Like, in the middle of the panel when I pointed at some guy, I'm like, hey, it's because I recognize you from Facebook. And I was like, oh, I know you. <laughs> I know. You, you did that right in the middle when you were talking about your artist. It was like, wow, did his artist actually come from Argentina at the moment? No, like, no, just, no, someone else. <laughs> I saw something shiny. Well, it was definitely been my uh, pleasure to interview the three of you, and it's uh, the highlight of my con. So, oh, awesome! Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having uh, us. I'm glad that you could you could join me and take uh, time out of your busy schedules, obviously, to uh, to do this. So, our pleasure. This is Geekly Radio Network at WonderCon 2018, saying always remember to geek, geek out. <laughs> we now return you to your regularly scheduled program.